morning. If you're new this morning, we have something for you. Praise the Lord. This is new. If you're kind of new, we still have something for you. We want to make sure that you get We have, we have a gift for you we'd like to, to give you. Um, certainly see the ladies in the back here uh, after you know, time of fellowship to get that if you haven't already. God is good. There's a, there is a pastor friend of mine who about seven years ago planted a church in the city of Austin. He did what we call as a parachute drop church plant, where he and his wife, by themselves, just went, moved to the city of Austin, out of, he'd been pastoring a giant church up in northeast Texas for 20 years. They just moved by themselves to Austin to plant the church. Um, and God blessed that. And there's a question that he would ask people, just the average person in Austin, we've got Austin weird, uh, we certainly got our, our own flavor going on in Austin, we got a little bit of that coming down here to but the, the question he would ask people is a very relevant question to everyone, to us in this room, to those that he would talk to randomly at a coffee shop. Um, it has a great impact in our lives, the answer to that question. And the question is, what do you know about a man named Jesus? What do you know? And... There's a lot of different answers to that. Um, some people don't know anything about the man named Jesus. Uh, some know that he was a religious leader of some kind. Some know that he lived about 2,000 years ago. Um, some know him a lot better than them. Some would say that he's still alive today. The answer to that question really does have an impact on our lives. And it is a very relevant question today in 2020, for sure. Well, this morning we're continuing a journey through the book of Colossians. And what we're going to cover this morning answers that question. Who is Jesus Christ? Who was the man named Jesus? And there's some radical claims that are made in there. And I believe this word of God is the word of God and is true in everything that it says. And if what it says about Jesus is true, then that really does have an impact on my life. It's going gonna, it's gonna to show us that Jesus is God. That's a pretty major thing. But not only that, but, but Jesus was there all the way back at the beginning. He's before all things. Not only in him was the fullness of God pleased to dwell, but he was before all things. That's, we're going to get both of those in this. And so all things that were made, all things that we know, that we experience in this universe, were created through him. That's another claim. But there's an even greater, well, they're all great. There's a radical claim in here that this certainly impacts our life our view of the world around us, and that is that not only is Jesus God, not only were all things created through him, but all things were created for him. Everything created, the purpose it was created, is for him. That definitely has an impact on my life. 
A dad takes his kids to the movie theater, rushing a little bit because they're running late, and he gets them there just in time to get them all settled in their seats before the lights turn down and the previews start, and he takes a trip back to the concession stand and returns with arms full of popcorn and candy and uh, sodas, and, and there in the dark, getting his kids all settled, passing things down, making sure everybody has the right thing, uh, finally gets to the point before the movie starts where he can grab his own popcorn and sit and enjoy the movie. And as he's sitting there, the movie has started, and they're a little ways into it, and the stranger, this man next to him, reaches over and takes some of his popcorn. He's surprised and shocked at the audacity someone would do that. And the man, the dad, just does nothing. He doesn't know what to do. He continues to watch the movie, eating his popcorn. Again, the man next to him reaches over and eats some of his, takes some of his popcorn. And, and he just can't believe that someone would be that so brazen, that, that to have the nerve to do that. And, and as he's sitting there, he, he, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want to cause a scene in the middle of a theater with his kids. So he just continues to watch the movie, and they both then are eating popcorn out of his bucket of popcorn. And he starts eating faster because he's worried he's not going to get all that much of his popcorn. And as it starts going down, now he's worried he's going to run out of popcorn, and they're only barely halfway through the movie. Then the man next to him gets up, smiles at him, and takes the bucket of popcorn and leaves. In shock, he doesn't know what to think of the whole situation. Just thinking, boy, when I get home to my wife, I'm going to have a story to tell. Well, the guy comes back. The popcorn is full. He gives the dad his popcorn back and sits down. And they continue to share the popcorn. They finish out the movie. The credits start to roll. The man next to him, he, he leaves the theater. And then when the lights finally come up, he's gathering his kids together. And one of their kids say, Dad, there's a whole bucket of popcorn here. And he realizes that wasn't his popcorn he had grabbed. It was the man's popcorn he had grabbed. sending people to the moon again. And we're so proud of what we have accomplished 
in this world that we call ours and what we're going to do with it. And in my own life, what I'm going to get out of this, this is my life and my rights. And then if you consider God imposing himself into my life, Maybe don't want that. And then I and then I in my mind I'm thinking, what parts of my life am I gonna let God into? Not really seeing that all of this was created for him, by him and for him, even myself. But you know what I have found? Is that as I have realized that my life was created, exists for him, that is some of the best news ever. And I hope this morning that some of you will also see that that is some of the best news ever. We're not eating out of our own popcorn. This, all of this, belongs to God. Created for him. So let's look in this passage. Colossians. Chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray to God. I just pray that this morning in a fresh new way we would see the glory call Lord and Savior. Jesus, I pray that you would just make yourself real to us this morning in a whole new way through your Holy Spirit, through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's a lot here. There's a lot of attributes of God in this list, and that's kind of what, what Paul is doing is he's still preparing the Colossians uh, to be able to to deal with what they have as false teaching in their church. And, and he's giving them everything that they have already. Um, and, and some of the false teaching would suggest that they need some special type of uh, wisdom and understanding beyond what they have in Christ. That they would need something other than Christ. Angels and, and other things in order uh, to, to have uh, what, what's to be had in Christianity. To have what's, what's been bought in the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and he's He's clarifying, no, this is what you have. You have everything you need in Jesus Christ. So in this section, it's just a description of, an, an amazing description of who, what we have in Christ. Who Christ is. Who is this man named Jesus? As I was going through this, I was trying to just reduce it to a few points. Um, and talking to my wife, I was going, there's so much more in here. She said, well, just put more points in there. So we've got more points than normal. Uh, they still don't cover everything. 
Um, the title of the sermon is itself a point that all things are for him. Uh, I was able to get that out of the point list. Um, but certainly we're not going to cover everything about Christ, but we're going to dig into some major points that we have in here about this man named Jesus. And the first one, it's right there at the beginning in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of God. That's our first The image of the invisible God. God is spirit. He can't be seen. But in Jesus, we have the image of the invisible God. What does that really mean? Because we have this understanding, if you've, if you've um, studied this before, that man is created in the image of God. Is that related to this? And as I studied into this, I think there's an important distinction to understand here in this. That, that in Genesis, it says that man and woman were made in the image of God, as image bearers of God. And it doesn't really give us specific detail of what that means. And so we always kind of wonder, and really... Uh, I think we have to fully know God, fully know man in a way that only God does for us to really understand that. But, but there's consequence of that that is described. And, and by that consequence, we know that when the fall happened, when we sinned, we didn't cease to be image bearers of God. That's just part of what we were created to be, is image bearers of God. And so even in the beginning of Genesis, the first uh, the first example of corporal punishment is in the context of, of murdering someone, and the reason uh, is the reason for that's the right word, right? Corporal, not corporal. Uh, capital punishment, yes. No, we don't punish our kids. Anyway. <laughs> capital punishment, the reason for it is tied to murdering someone who is in the image of God. This is in a fallen state. Uh, even in the New Testament, uh, going through uh, the, the issues of the tongue um, and, and, and with our tongue blessing God and while at the same time cursing those made in the image of God. It's a serious thing how we treat each other because we are humanity created in the image of God. It's part of who we are. But this is different. When we're talking about Christ, the image of the invisible God, this is qualitatively different. This is Christ showing us the full character of who God is. Christ is God. And so we have uh, further down in verse 19, for in him, in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased well, we have the fullness of God in Christ, the invisible God being made known to mankind through the per person of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 1. Starting in verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh. That right there is an amazing thing that may not seem amazing at first until you understand what that means. The Word, as described at the beginning of this chapter, the Word was there at the beginning, creation, it was with God, and it was God. And it describes the Word as being Jesus Christ. He was with God, was God, he was there at the beginning. 
beginning and then hear this amazing thing and basically say, God became flesh. Jesus, the, the expression and fullness of the invisible God shown in the person of Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, speaking of John the Baptist. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes before me ranks before me because he was before me. John also testified that Jesus, uh, who called himself the Son of Man, had a beginning as a son of man, but also he was the son of God and had no beginning as the son of God. He was before me. Verse 16, and from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, the law given to Moses uh, pointed to God. It showed and revealed the holiness of God, but the law was given because of sin. It was, to, it was to reveal the sin in mankind who had disobeyed God. And while it revealed the holiness of God and revealed truth about God, it, it wasn't full. It wasn't full of grace and truth. It didn't show the fullness of who God is. The fullness of who God is was shown through Jesus Christ, who was the image of God. And in him was both grace so in 18, it says, no one has ever seen God. He's the invisible God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So he's in him. The only God who is at the Father's side. Who are we talking about? At the Father's side is Jesus. He's the only God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he, Jesus, has made him known. The Greek word behind made him known there is it's just one Greek word. It's the same Greek word that we get, that the theologians get the word for exegesis, for interpretation. Uh, what we're doing right now is exegesis. All it means, it's a fancy word, all it means is we're trying to extract the true meaning of what is in this text. We're not doing eisegesis, which is taking our own meaning and placing it on top of it. We're trying to get the true meaning of what the, the human author, along with the Holy Spirit author, guiding that human author, intended to say. That's what we're trying to get out of this. So what is Jesus? He is the exegesis of God. The true meaning, the true person, the true holiness, the true nature of God fully expressed. Turn with me also to, to Hebrews chapter 1. I had a hard time limiting how many passages we pull from because when you start talking about who Jesus is and the glory of that, it's all over the place. But in chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 1, it says, Long ago and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's the Old Testament. <clears throat> but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. There we 
got that again. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. There's the image of God. The glory of God. The radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the image of God. In him, we can come to know God. If you want to know God, get to know Jesus. Oops, don't need that anymore. It says he's the he's appointed the heir of all things. And that's going to bring us to our second point that we have in Colossians. As the heir of all things, that's connected to him being the firstborn. Something that's been confusing to people. Of what does it mean that there in verse 15 we have, he is, uh, back in Colossians chapter 1, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then it goes through and we're going to get to firstborn again. So if we, if we look, the firstborn of all creation, and in verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So at the beginning of this section, he's the firstborn of all creation. Then we have in the middle what makes it obvious that he was never, as the Son of God, ever born. He has no beginning. And then we have him as the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, which means he's first in all things. What does it mean that he's the firstborn? What would they, this is exegesis, what would they have understood it as at that time? What's the meaning of the author there? Of, as he's writing to the Colossians, how would the Colossians have understood that term firstborn? And we have tiny bit of that in our culture that they do. They have a much stronger culture of the rights and privileges of the firstborn. Firstborn didn't just mean that you were born first. It had to do with the, the honor and position and inheritance and role that you had as firstborn. It was more of a role than literally being born first. And we see throughout the Old Testament cases where that role of firstborn is taken by the one who's not born first. Um, you have with, with Joshua and his sons. You have, you have uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh was the one who was, who was the firstborn. But you had Ephraim being blessed as the firstborn. It was God's choice. Uh, the, the nation of Israel, when they're going up against Egypt, God says... And this is my firstborn among the nations. They weren't the first nation ever to be. But he was treating them in the role and privilege and rights as firstborn. So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about Jesus is the firstborn. And he's the firstborn of all creation. Of all creation. And that's 
that's not just um, that's not just what, what's here that we see in, in the universe. That's that's all creation, heaven and earth, all that has been created through him. And it's it's the spiritual realm. It's everything. He is before all things. He is preeminent, and he has an inheritance. Uh, David, King David, uh, who was not the oldest of his family. Um, but in Psalm 89, 27, it says, And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And certainly that's also looking forward to Christ. And it's in that same sense. The highest of the kings of the earth. That meaning of firstborn, that now we say Christ is the firstborn of all creation. But then it also says he's firstborn from the dead. Look with me, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Some of you may already have this memorized. Actually, I've got it memorized, but we'll turn there anyway. Speaking of us who believe in Christ, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, there again, the fact that we're image bearers of God is separate from the fact that we're being conformed into the image of Christ. That's the difference. Where it's the character of Christ. And it's the character of God that we're being conformed into. But why? In order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. The firstborn. The one with an inheritance. We have been brought into brothers of Christ to share in his inheritance. So you have uh, really in, in this passage what's implicit is the fall. Because you had Jesus at the beginning creating all things and he's the firstborn of all creation. At that time it was all good. Satan was not Satan. He was Lucifer. An angel of light. Beautiful. Good. All the angels were good. There were no demons. Because Angels are all angels. There was no fallen angels. There was no fallen man. Everything was good. But after that time, there was the fall. You had Satan in his own pride, uh, turning against God and taking a, a host of angels with him. And you had him tempting Adam and Eve in the garden and, and mankind then, sinning against God and sin entering the world and everything that they had dominion over, the earth and everything in it then, falling into a broken state of sin, a fallen state. And so Jesus, who everything is created for, Jesus, God's plan then, that he would become a man, infinite God becoming a man, to then live a life tempted as we are, and, and as a rescue mission, go in, and provide through the blood of his cross a sacrifice. Then to save out of fallen men a people, say, a people for his own possession, to join him in an inheritance. That's what's going on here. So first born from the dead, he has joined those who are dead in their sins. And he has taken death on himself on their behalf, so that now he is the firstborn among those to something, to 
characteristic of God, of Jesus. He is the creator and sustainer. Verse 16 of Colossians, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is going to take, this is not my popcorn to a whole new level. All things hold together in Christ. My dad, who's an atomic physicist, reads passages like this, and he connects it to what we know about the world around us. This is truth, which means science, which is us discovering what God created and understanding it better and being able to do more things because of what we've come to understand, science is going to connect back to the truth God's word. And when it doesn't connect, it's not that this is not true, it's that we haven't really figured it out fully over here yet. And time and time again, we have seen that happen, where science says a thing, oh, that's not the same as the Bible, and then we discover something new, and realize, oh, no, we didn't fully understand it. We still don't fully understand it yet. We've come to know four forces. Some people out there think there might be a fifth, but not very many people take them seriously. But four forces. There's gravitational force, there's electromagnetic force, and then at the atomic level we have a strong force and a weak force. That's what we've been able to discover and understand, and scientifically we're able to use that understanding to do things that are meaningful. Does it describe every force that's out there? How much science has pressed into the spiritual realm? Spiritual realm is real. Spiritual realm affects the physical realm. Physical realm uh, affects the spiritual realm. But we haven't been able to crack that nut or figure it out. There's probably even more forces that at play. But, but what is this telling us? All things hold together in Christ. While I can describe gravity and put the gravitational constant on it and say if I've got two masses of this at this distance and this is how much they weigh, th this is the gravitational force, this is what it's going to look like. That doesn't tell me why. Why do they do that? Still trying to figure that out, and, and, and lots of really smart people still trying to figure those things out with theories. And if I could put a math equation on it, in my arrogance, I would say, ah, I know gravity. I can predict it, I can describe it. <laughs> it's not my popcorn. I didn't create gravity. I don't even know why it continues to work the way it does, but I depend on it continuing to work <laughs> the way it does. If it was a change, that'd be really bad for me. No, all things hold together in Christ. Do we realize how incredible Christ is? He has created all things. All things are for him. All things are holding together in him. And if he's wanting to impose himself in my life to do a work in my life, who am I to say no? Even, even the molecules that make up my body are held together by his power. If he says, go, how arrogant is me to not trust that he's going to provide what I need to go to do 
follow him. All things hold together in him. If he says, trust me, Next one, he is the head of the church. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Considering everything we've already talked about, we think about who it is that's really leading Hope Church. Do we have anything to fear? Do we have anything to be concerned about as we seek simply to obey the one who is the head of our church? To pray, to petition, the one who is the head of our church. Colossians 1, starting in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of blood of his cross. He makes peace. He is the head of the church. There's a similar message that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Look there real quick. Ephesians chapter 1 starting in verse 17. He likes to insert a prayer into his letters for people. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 17, Paul says, and, and he's, he's, he's saying, I, I don't cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. This is his prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, church in Ephesus, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Sounds similar to a couple weeks ago. Uh, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? His inheritance in the saints. Church, for those of you who, who, who study a little bit about what the Bible tells us is ultimately going to happen, and we know that there's going to be a great white throne judgment, and, and before we get to that, all of heaven and earth is going to pass away in, in, a, in a roar of melting planets, and uh, it's, it's understated in here. It's just going to be crazy, the whole thing. Basically, I think Jesus just releasing that hold of every force, holding everything together. When he goes, done. Everything just goes, oh, it's going to be incredible. But we're going to reach that point where all of us, in new bodies, whether, whether we were uh, had faith in Christ or not, everyone's going to be raised from the dead and will stand before that great white throne judgment. And that judgment, uh, all the works that were done on the earth will be shown, and the books will be opened to show those, and no one will be saved by, based on the works that they did, but there will be another book that's opened, it's the Lamb's Book of Life. And if your name is written, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be written in that book. Those will be saved. All others, angels, heavenly beings, saints, those who have sinned against God, have rebelled against God, and not turned to Jesus Christ. The option to turn to Jesus Christ isn't there for the angels. They're, they're already 
those who didn't turn to Christ and those, and those angels that turned against God, they will be thrown in the lake of fire. That's what Jesus is eternal torment. Then what's left? Of Christ, who is the firstborn of all creation, whose inheritance then is out of all creation. What's left? Well, there's some good angels left. But what's dear to him that is his inheritance that he wants? The saints. That's what's left. Everything else has been burned up. Do we see each other? Do we see the church for the glory that it is precious to Jesus Christ? As his own possession. As his inheritance. Paul says, I pray that you would know what the riches of his glory, you know, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those of us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He, the Father, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church. Do we see who is leading this church? Who is the head of this church? Do we see Jesus for who he is? He gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of Final point about Jesus, and there are many more, is that he reconciled all things. And notice in here. So if we look in Colossians chapter, back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his. That's a past tense. He reconciled. That work is done. It was done on the cross. Now, it doesn't feel like it's all done yet, but the work of reconciliation was done on the cross, and now, in this time, God still delays and waits and, and allows more people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to be a part of his body, part of his But the reconciliation is done. It's past tense. And notice it's not just what we consider that reconciliation between us and God. Remember, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. All creation has come under it, uh, the, the bondage of sin. There's been brokenness in all creation. That includes heaven, Satan falling in heaven. There, and, and it's in all things, heaven and earth, and in Christ... God is ultimately has a purpose to reconcile. We see it also in Ephesians. I'm not going to turn there, but I've got the reference there for you to go if you want to. But in Ephesians, it, it also speaks of God's purpose from the beginning to unite all things in Christ, heaven and earth. And that's ultimately what we're going to see when we go to heaven and we get past that great white throne 
and a new heaven and a new earth are created. And God creates something where heaven and earth are together. God will dwell with men and all things will be united in Christ. What do you know about the man named Jesus? What do you know about Jesus Christ? Boy, if you didn't know much before, we just, we just a fire hose of, of Jesus at you. Don't try to understand all of these at once, but, but do understand that who Jesus is does make a difference in your life. It makes a difference in everything. Those claims are true. <laughs> all things created by him and for him. And how I see the life around me. MacArthur put together a list of the glories of Christ, and this is not comprehensive, but just in case you felt like we were missing some things. Here's a good list. If you want a copy of it, I can get it. Uh, but uh, it's got verse references all through it, so you can go look up where these come from. Jesus Christ is completely sufficient for all matters of life. He is sufficient for creation, salvation, sanctification, and glorification. So pure is he that there is no blemish, stain, spot, or sin, defilement, lying, deception, corruption, error, or imperfection. So complete is he that there is no other God besides him. He is the only begotten Son. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him. The fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in him. He is the heir of all things. He created all things, and all things were made by him and through him and for him. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the exact representation of God. He is the only mediator between God and man. He is the sun that enlightens, the physician that heals, the wall of fire that defends, the friend that comforts, the pearl that enriches, the ark that supports, and the rock to sustain under the heaviest of pressures. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. He is better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Aaron, better than Joshua, better than Melchizedek. <laughs> better than all the prophets, greater than Satan, and stronger than death. He has no beginning and no end. He is the spotless Lamb of God. He is our peace. He is our hope. He is our life. He is the living and true way. He is the strength of Israel. He is the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He is faithful and true. He is the author, the finisher of our faith. He is the captain of our salvation. He is the champion. He is the elect one. He is the apostle and high priest of our confession. He is the righteous servant. He is the Lord of hosts, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth. He is the man of sorrows. He is the light. He is the son of man. He is the vine. He is the bread of life. 
is the door. He is the Lord. He is prophet, priest, and king. He is our Sabbath rest. He is our righteousness. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the chief shepherd. He is Lord of God. He is Lord God of hosts. He is the Lord of the nations. He is the Lion of Judah, the living word, the rock of salvation, the eternal spirit. He is the Ancient of Days, Creator and Comforter, Messiah, and He is the Great I. That's Jesus. Let's worship Jesus. Oh God, so Surrender all now to Christ alone. 